How do you sort out the so-called jargon from real-world practices that work? Do the members of your organization find some business or technology advice utterly confusing? Welcome to Real Talk with Sam Holzman. In this program, we set the record straight and in terms that business people and technology people can understand. Now, here is your host, Sam Holzman. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today in our broadcast. My name is Sam Holzman. I'll be with you for the next hour or so talking about a very different topic for those of you that are enterprise architects or business architects. And as I joke in the next sentence, it's, do you have a seat at the big person's table? And the reason we're doing this broadcast is what we're finding out, and probably some of you recognize this, in our previous uh, broadcasts, and if those of you that uh, have taken advantage of our assets uh, before, uh, thank you for doing that. But if you haven't, you know we've done an extensive, literally hundreds of broadcasts, webinars, seminars, uh, white papers, uh, infographics, et cetera, et cetera, on what you're delivering uh, to as a business or enterprise architect. We haven't covered very much the concept of how you're delivering it. And the reason we mention this is that there was a very pleasant situation some time ago now where one of the VACOE business architects reported to us that she is actually reporting now to the CEO because the CEO not only saw things that were comfortable to that individual, but also how it was presented. So the architectural artifacts was, as we like to call them, human consumable to that CEO, but also the CEO saw that the architect could be a trusted advisor and someone that that individual can work with to actually move the organization forward to its desired state. That's a very exciting thing for all of us. Talk about influencing an organization that's there. And so what we looked at as we analyzed that instance and also lots of others was there's really two components to the concepts of architecture that you and I need to be comfortable with. As it says here, perhaps it's not only what you are delivering, which is very, very important, but also how you're delivering it. And as I mentioned, we have numerous broadcasts on the what is being delivered. And essentially what we talk about is the human consumability about that and the research and that we have undertaken and others have undertaken and what that is, what can actually people absorb. So the key to delivery is a series of soft skills as we call them in addition to the hard skills that you may possess. And we'll be defining those in, in just a little bit. So how do you make yourself heard? So soft skills deliver human consumable architectural representations. It's how it's being delivered. Of course, this is in addition to the architectural skills that hopefully that you have. We'll describe and contrast soft skills with hard skills so you can see the relationship and the differences between those. 
The soft skills are often associated with a set of behaviors and traits that relate to your ability, an individual's ability to interact with other people. Of course, one of those would be communication skills. Contrast to this with hard skills, which describe the capabilities needed to perform tasks, industry expertise, process knowledge, real enterprise architecture, real business architecture, the deliverables involved in that. We'll also introduce you some of the underlying concept of selected soft skills. There are a lot of them that we cover in a seminar that we have on this for you if you're interested. And that provides, and we're gonna provide you with some tools here in this webinar, this broadcast and frameworks to get you started in there. And some of these are some of the most important tools that we have found as you move forward. So basically it's communicating clearly and concisely. What is the end state objective that you are trying to provide to your stakeholders? If I can be so bold and direct, it's not a bunch of models. Those are means to an end. What is that end? And how much of that recipe, in other words, those elements, do they really need to understand? Perhaps we should start with the end product and then ask them the question, how would you like me to go further? What explanations are you interested in so that you can see how we got to that end state that you were looking for? So basically what we're talking about is what we call the scarcity mentality. Less is more. My goodness, a lot less is a lot more. So make yourself and work visible and understandable without your constant present. That's that concept of human consumability. And have those stakeholders reach out to you as a trusted advisor. That's really what we're looking at. You may have to go back to school a little bit, or you may have to take another workshop. I know my background in engineering. I didn't get any of those skills in my classrooms because it wasn't really looked at at that time. And maybe some of you have that same situation. Maybe you feel that charm school is a problem because you feel that you're inadequate if somebody says go to charm school. <laughs> well, this is not charm school. This is actually practice. But we can understand that. We can understand that hesitancy. So the other thing is, please don't confuse having a seat at a table with having a voice at the table and having your voice heard. This is something that we've also noticed. As we get more into the information age and move out of the internet age and into the information age, you see organizations moving that, that group or individual or IT to get a seat at the table because that's what everybody else is doing because they read the stuff on the internet. But that doesn't mean that you're being listened to or being part of that circle of influence that we think is very, very important. So soft skills, a bit of an overview of this concept. I wanna thank my colleague in this area, a gentleman named uh, Ken Nagus, who teaches this particular concept for the architecture COER organization. And when he does do these, I'm 
a, a co-teacher there, but I can assure you that he really has the expertise. And in this co-teaching, he talks about soft skills. I talk about business and enterprise architecture and that relationship um, that is going on. So I wanna uh, thank Ken uh, for allowing me to bring to you some of his material along with our own, my own, uh, and give him the due, crescent, due, due pr uh, presence and thank, thank that he deserves. So what are these soft skills? So this term is associated with a set of behaviors and traits that relate to an individual's ability to interact with other people. And as I mentioned before, one of those is communication skills. So we have to remember, we're talking to human beings. Now, whether it's on the internet, whether it's face-to-face, -face, whether it's Zoom-to-Zoom -Zoom or team-to-team -team or whatever you're using, it's still individual interactions with other human beings, not compilers, not tools that draw fancy schmancy diagrams, but with human beings. Hard skills, very, very important, of course. They describe the capabilities to needed to perform tasks, such as industry expertise and process knowledge. How do you actually do real business architecture? How do you actually do real enterprise architecture? Those are the hard skills that we're talking about. So hard skill examples, statistical analysis, web design, and if some of you are golfers, hitting out of a SAM trap. And you know what? You can't sit in the classroom and take a multiple guess exam and learn how to sit out, learn how to hit out of a SAM trap. You gotta get out there and actually do it and do it. Soft skills, listening, wow. I think we all recognize that we have one mouth and two ears. Maybe that's a hint to all of us as to what that ratio should be. Providing feedback. And one of the very difficult soft skills is staying married. And I'm very proud to say that my spouse and I, later on this year, will be celebrating 50 years of staying married. And I thank her for putting up with me for 50 of those years. Soft skills, soft skills, very, very important. Now that word soft, if you look in the dictionary, has some very interesting, and you know what the word interesting means, definitions, pleasing or agreeable to the senses, bringing ease, comfort, and quiet. Not confrontative, but the common nod that we're looking for, smooth or delicate in texture, grain or fiber, make it easy for people to understand. Demanding little work or effort on the part of the recipient. Let me repeat, on the part of the recipient. Marked by a gentleness, kindness, or tenderness. Think about when you're talking about these things, architecture, to your stakeholders. And if some of you know that have been to our uh, webinars and broadcasts before, we have banned the term user. I'm not gonna go into that. If you wanna go take a look, you'll see why. It's a very derogatory term for those people that are actually paying the bill. 
weak or deficient mentally. I don't like that definition. Emotionally suggestive or responsive, suggestible or responsive. I don't like that definition. Looking, lacking firmness or strength of character. So when you look at that word in the dictionary, we have to make sure we are focusing on the right definition. Why do you need these? Fundamentally, number one, to promote your ideas. It doesn't matter what the tool can produce. It doesn't matter how many colors that you have or the density of your PowerPoint slides or how many slides that you have. It's how do you get the point across? You want to engage others with you. These are not, architecture is not a, just a presentation. It should be an action to how you enable the enterprise and business strategy. You're engaging people. You're giving people roadmaps that they can consume and they can understand without you. You're the architect. They're the implementers. They're the business people. They're your client to communicate on a day-to-day -day basis. You need these skills. By the way, talking to other architects, not just your stakeholders, to identify key business issues. That's one of your jobs, of course, to create models. Create models that are human consumable. Please remember that phrase. To be a change agent, how do you get the organization to go to its desired state from its as a state? How do you help them along to implement business improvements? Architects, architects cannot work in isolation. This is one of the fundamental things. Architects talking to architects isn't going to get us anywhere. Drawing diagrams that are only readable and understandable by other architects isn't going to get us anywhere. The concept of human consumability and how you present these is what's important. The work you do has little intrinsic value out of the context of improving the business for others. That's what our objective is, satisfying the stakeholders. I know that's sometimes tough. We are a chef in the kitchen. We get our pleasures from seeing our customers pleased and coming back. We are the waitstaff in a restaurant. We are the agents that provide people with tickets on an airline. We are flight attendants. We are pilots. The end objective is other people's satisfactions. It's all about people. You can't do architecture in a vacuum. Ha, 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 ha. Okay. <laughs> it's about people. So building architects, let's go back to the term architects, not business or enterprise, but people that build architects first focus on the people, not on the structure, not on an entity relationship diagram or a, a complex diagram or a flow diagram. They concentrate on the people they're trying to work with. Christoph Alexander, one of the most famous architects out there has said in writing, the structure of life I have described in buildings, the structure which I believe to be objective 
is deeply and extrusively connected with the human person and with the innermost nature of human feelings. That's what he re represents in his architecture, the building. He starts with the human being. So what do your stakeholders actually want? Do they really want an entity relationship model or a use case or a process flow? Or are they trying to address a certain business or enterprise need? And you and I are gonna help them get there. So the objective of this particular broadcast is to give you an overview of these things, introduce some of these concepts. We can't go over all of them in a, in a, in a short broadcast like this. Okay, provide some practical tools and frameworks. We always want to leave people in our broadcast with some takeaways for the end of the broadcast uh, so that you can hopefully bring that uh, activity to your organization in some way and see if it works. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to see you back here in just a, a few minutes talking about, as I joke in the next sentence, it's do you have a seat at the big person's table? Is your organization in the internet age when those around you are moving into the information age? Are your hallway conversations filled with words and phrases like blockchain, AI, VR, cloud computing, and micro this and that? Are you interested in bringing some method to the madness? Then talk to us. Through years of consulting with clients all over the world, the Pinnacle Business Group and Architecture Center of Excellence, ACOE, have developed an understanding of what makes a consultant client relationship work. And this understanding comes to every engagement. We assist organizations in solving their business and system challenges with unique proven approaches, bringing teams of business and system personnel together to jointly define business and system requirements. The teams are led through a series of facilitated activities to provide innovative solutions to business and system challenges. We look forward to hearing from you. Visit EACOE.org and BACOE.org. And so we're gonna overview some of the practices we found to be relevant and useful. What has actually worked, not only academically, but in practice with our clients? provide tools and techniques you can use, and have a little bit of fun. This particular broadcast is probably a little bit more fun than some of the other broadcasts and webinars we've done uh, with you. So I don't know if we're gonna have a conga line or not, <laughs> but we are gonna have a little fun. What are the soft skills that architects actually need? Interpersonal skills, interactions with individuals and groups. And you'll see some categories here, and then we'll go into more depth. Consultative skill. Please notice the word consultative is in quotes. It's not a consultant. It's consultative skills. Lead improvements in your organization. And common organization working skills for everyday activities, such as leading meetings, conducting interviews, and managing projects. And so what we have here is a combination. Our thesis is we have architects with hard skills, process technology, enterprise architecture, diagramming, business architecture, diagramming, et cetera, et cetera. You couple that with 
the soft skills, communications, consultative, and common application skills, and the, that equals the architect with the opportunity to be a change agent and a trusted advisor and get a seat and a voice and be heard at the big person's table. Hooray, that's what we are looking for, making an impact. I wake up every day and say, is there something that I can do? Do I achieve making an impact every day? Of course not. And anybody tells you that, you know, they're going to next send you, sell you a bridge somewhere. But that's what we aim for. Are we actually making a difference that's there? So everybody loves pyramids. So we've got a pyramid, of course, too. Here's the soft skills pyramid. It starts with you as the foundation of architect. And we build on these various skills that are there to become a change agent and essentially a trusted advisor. And fundamentally behind this is what we refer to as mental models, that interpersonal skill framework, that first base is a set of mental models. And this is the foundation skills for effective communication. Foundational skills. Each one of these categories is something that you can learn, and you may have these already, but we give you these categories to give you that holistic view of yourself. There's the advocacy, advocacy, excuse me, concept and how you do that, how you inquire, not offend when you inquire, but actually inquire. The concept of observation, something that's very important for an architect. Assessment. And of course, listening. And then there's a number of other skills that we're going to talk about. And those foundational skills build up to what's commonly referred to outside of the architecture and IT community as storytelling. I'm sure all of you have been to uh, you know, some kind of a movie and you've watched a television show. And sometimes you look at some of these television shows or movies and you say, that was a really good story, a really good, well, how did that happen? How did that happen? You think it had to do with a specific tool? Underneath maybe, but it started off with a story, a story. You're building that story. You're building your business architecture or enterprise architecture story for your stakeholders. And then you fill in the blanks and we'll show you some examples of that. Relationship building. Do people come to you and say, we need your expertise and assets? Or do you push them out there? You of course know which one is better. Think about that for a moment. Do people actually ask for your services? And how do you influence direction when you are not a CX person? And as I mentioned, you don't have to be a CX person to make an impact. You can be an architect with soft skills. So the framework that we look at begins with, I understand that every person has a unique set of experiences and beliefs, and I need to honor those differences. 
There is no one side fits all. Please remember, we're talking about human beings. If you think you're going to draw one model or one diagram and throw it out there and have everyone salute, and if you've done that, you probably know what happens. <laughs> Nobody salutes. Every individual has a specific need, and you got to figure that out. You got to figure that out. Man, Sam, this is hard. No, it's not hard. It's just a little bit different thinking. It's breathing before we talk. It's listening before we talk. And then we do some actual work. Now that moves up to, I have the conversational skills needed to better understand my thoughts and those of others and communicate with them. What am I thinking? How are they thinking? Are they in alignment? And if you really believe the people you're working with are customers and clients, and not that you word that I won't use, then this is very important. They're the boss. They're holding the check in front of you. If you want that check, you have to make sure you satisfy their, their demands and understandings. And I can develop that relationship based on trust. The best thing is when you as the architect are asked for your services. Hey, Joe, Fred, Mary, Tom, Alicia, I got this new thing I need. Let's do some architecture be, you know, as, as the beginning part of this process. Boy, is that wonderful. And it's happening. And you can get there. So these consultative skills that we're talking about, hello, my name is, trusted advisor may be a better name for some of you rather than the word consultant because that has <laughs> sometimes a little baggage with it. The trusted advisor that's there. And what are some of the characteristics that we have found about people with good consultative skills? They have a mastery of a number of skills, especially listening and inquiring. Not pontificating, <laughs> but listening and inquiring, okay? They understand the business to some degree. And one of the ways to do that is to actually see if you can get invited to see what's going on. Boy, is this sometimes an eye-opener. I encourage all of you to ask. By the way, if you don't ask, it won't happen. Hey, if you're in the finance department or the, the uh, uh, accounting department or the marketing department or the call center or operations, can I go see what, you know, can I see what's going on there a little bit? Usually you get wonderful, please. This is great. Seeing the bigger picture. Systems, holistic thinking is what we're talking about here. Holistic thinking, looking beyond the front door, clearly defining issues. These are some of the good consultative skills. The skill that we are gonna be talking about is called scoping and framing. Seeking alternative solutions. It's the concept of decision-making and governance, a formal process 
to actually evaluate things that are saying. As we heard lots and lots of times, got to think outside the box. Well, there's a way to do that. None of these are formulas. You can't say E equals MC squared, I equals D over TF equals MA. But there are ways to think outside the box in a formal manner for you, a recipe, a script to get you started in doing this. We call that creativity and innovation. Yes, you can learn creativity and innovation, which is different than being creative or innovative. That's what we always hear about. Building client relationships, the concept of service orientation. Creating change. And of course, that's change management. And there's a whole series of concepts of how that does. And of course, time management. There is never enough time. And by the way, there's never enough budget. <laughs> okay. So how do you manage that? So if we look at this continuum, we can see how each one of these elements fits in to that pyramid that we're talking about. I can help my organization or clients navigate the challenges of change. This information age, this internet age, this cybersecurity threat that is going on and day in and day out, and perhaps some root cause analysis is something that we need to do. I can help my organization clients clearly define the key business issues they're facing. Rather than what's apparent, that's, of course, the concept that we're chatting about when we use the phrase, what? Root cause analysis, not symptoms, but root cause analysis. I can help others see the world in new different ways. Let me throw this out there and see if, it, see if this perhaps clarifies or embellishes what you're talking about. I can help others work together to articulate choices and make decisions. You can essentially negotiate different points of view. And of course, I can manage my time wisely. I can't do everything. None of us can. I treat my business partners like customers, not users. And if you haven't heard our other broadcasts on this topic, please do. Please, if I can leave you with a message to, to take back out, out, out of this broadcast, stop using that term. It really is insulting to get to that service orientation. Now, how do you apply these skills? Okay. I am effective at soliciting relevant information from others. How do we get that information that we need? What's the concepts of interviewing? These are some of the soft skills, as you see on the bottom of these pages. I can lead a group of people with different opinions to coalesce on a shared view and action plan. That's the concept, soft skill of facilitation. Yeah, I can deliver meaningful presentations. It's the whole concept of presenting. PowerPoint does not make you a presenter. Believe me, <laughs> it doesn't make you a presenter. Standing in front of a group is very different than standing in front of a camera, as I'm doing now. Some of you I know have experienced that especially when it comes to influencing and educating and, and understanding. Lots of different distractions when I can't see the individual. As the old phrase goes, a lot of 
managers are uncomfortable without line of sight management that of course you get in an office environment. I can integrate my architecture work with other disciplines and organizations. How do I manage that, that information that's there? Okay. So briefly, we're gonna go through this set of topics here today. When I say briefly within the constraints of our broadcast, but these are all the actual items that you need to consider. And as I mentioned to you, this is out of our course. And what I'm gonna give you now is some of the key elements that our clients have told us and bring that forward to you. The other reason is we possibly have to change the way we view things. Now, I don't know exactly who is listening to this broadcast, of course, and who is going to take this broadcast and use it for other things. So my intent is never, ever, ever to offend or belittle anybody or anything. So I'm collectively looking at some of the responses that we have seen out there. And one of the most common responses we see now is, well, it's not me, it's them. It's not them, it's me, it's them. Finger pointing at other people. And if any of you are watching some of the activities going on now in the world, you know this is going on. It's not me, it's not me, it's them. What's our other response? Well, you know, we put this model out there and we gave them all the technology. I don't get it. Why don't they understand things? We are using the latest and greatest techniques. My goodness. Yeah, I know we've churned 73 different times on all of these techniques and we keep introducing new ones and we get these little certificates next to our name. Why aren't they listening? We have this pedigree. You know what the problem is? It's not us. It's that blasted customer client or the U word. That's that U word coming back again. It's their fault. What we have to remember with a bit of humor is that when you point at somebody, where are those other three fingers pointing? They point back at us. <laughs> so when you do this, look at those other three point the fingers and say, wait a minute, maybe it's not this, it's this. Maybe the emperor doesn't have any clothes and maybe we can't keep saying, why aren't you listening to us? Why aren't you listening to us? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you listening to us? What are the consequences of not listening? Why don't we figure that out and look in the mirror and find out that looking out the rear view mirror is a problem? And there's something that all of us would recognize now once we make it very explicit here, you know what the size of the rear view mirror is? There's a reason why it's that size. The windshield is so much bigger than the rear view mirror. Where you're headed is much more important than what you've left behind. It doesn't mean that your as is state is not important, but that wide open windshield 
is what you want to bring to your stakeholders. And you can do that. So it is time to look in the mirror. Now, all of us in the technology community have a friend. And if you don't know who that friend is, it's on the next slide. But we have to stop doing this. Of course, we have our cast of characters and the pointy haired boss says, we're going to try something called agile programming. And the boss continues, that means no more planning and no more documentation, just start writing the code and complaining. <laughs> that's the impression. Maybe you don't like that, but that's the impression the business people are seeing. And somebody says, I'm glad that technique has a name. And the boss says, well, that was what you were trained in, right? Well, I don't pick on things, but I have to pick on this because what we have to look at is people are doing some work in this. Agile software development is dead. Deal with it. It doesn't matter if you're uncomfortable with that sentence because it's out there on the internet. And one of the great things about the internet is anybody can write anything about anything. And one of the problems with the internet is anybody can write anything about anything. I do enjoy Jason Bloomberg's analysis. He really does have some very good thinking and the way he describes things. And if you haven't read his article on this, it would behoove you to do that. You may or may not agree with it, but it's always important to get other points of view because other people, including your business people, may be snickering and smirking at some of the things that you and I do, as we do with them. Well, I can't believe they're doing that in a marketing group. And by the way, he also discusses SAFE as a solution to a symptom and not the raw, the, the raw cause of things that are out there. Which brings us to the concepts of architecture. Brings us to the concept of architecture. Here's our definition. And I'm just gonna briefly cover this. You'll notice very quickly, if you haven't, there is no word technology or IT in this. There is no system. There is no thing you know, that's out there about process flow you know, capability maps and all these crazy phrases. There are the concepts of initiatives and capabilities. So just briefly, here is our thinking about why we can get a seat at the table and be heard and have a voice. Because the way we describe architecture, it represents an organization's desired state and as a state through a set of independent non-redundant artifacts the minimum set of things to under, for the business people and the technology people to understand, define how that relates together, and out of that, as quickly as we can, develop a set of prioritized aligned initiative capabilities. That's the end product needed to meet the organizational goals. Everything in between is a means to an end. This is what we have to recognize. And then we'll communicate this understanding in a human consumable manner to advance the organization from its as a state to desired state. That is what we're trying to do. 
And what does every organization and business want? They don't want enterprise architecture. They don't want business architecture. And I did a, a series of webinars and broadcasts on that. They want to increase their market share. They wanted to have delighted customers. They want to improve quality. They want to improve operating margins. They want to have competitive advantages. They want a lean business. And of course, they want a happy staff. And this is not the end state objective for your stakeholders. And this is not of interest to those stakeholders. It may be the end state for the IT organization, but what the business wants is a chocolate cake. You don't see any of this in the chocolate cake. They want the chocolate cake, or maybe they want an angel food cake, or maybe they want a highly decorated cake, or maybe they want a very specialized cake for a special occasion, or maybe they don't want cakes at all, but they want some potato chips for a snack. We need to recognize the path to an agile enterprise. An agile enterprise is the pathway to change. That's what everybody's looking for. What's the magic formula? <laughs> it's not really magic. It's real enterprise architecture or real business architecture plus those soft skills. So let's get into these a little bit to get an understanding of what these are. So change management. We're going to introduce some of the fundamental concepts of change management. Get people to listen. Get ourselves to listen and react differently, not just them. The topics are a little bit of a change heritage. Where did it come from? The forces of change. In other words, what's the resistance in IT, by the way, and the business? Let me repeat, in IT to these concepts. A lot of people don't want to learn. We understand that. But there are a few that do. And I hope that all of you are. And there's a change curve. And there's organizational and personal components to that. And there's a systemic nature of change. The organizational change heritage, historically, from our work and others, by the way, involves three legs of a stool. I sometimes call it bioengineering, but sometimes that's a little highfalutin. Engineering? Well, I don't know. That's the phrase that I use because my background is engineering. And there is a common thread. We tend not to look at column A and column C. It's column B that we tend to look at. But coupled with that, there is a business vision. There is analysis. There is design. There is implementation. And there's evolution for each one of these. And the process analysis that we're talking about in the business is process business process. And you and I as architects need to recognize we need to optimize the business process first before we mechanize it. We don't want to pave over cow paths. So how do we get the opportunity to be in the business sandbox? By demanding? No. By embarrassing? No. But through soft skills. So what's the role of an architect with respect to creating and managing change? And why is it so difficult? 
fundamentally because we are in their sandbox. And sometimes people are uncomfortable because we may be exposing things that are uncomfortable. This is what we have to recognize, the human condition. You and I have to recognize that. Once it's explicit, it's hard to hide behind. It's an embarrassment. Sometimes it's very positive. But we have to look at what is the issue. It's that explicit representation. Who's the most resistant and most accepting of completing an enterprise architecture project? Why? For those who are resistant, why? Our unfortunate set of understandings now, not only beliefs that we had before, but documented understanding is that the IT programming operations people, the agile programmers, if I can label someone, are the ones that are resistant to this because it's getting in their way. My goodness. I don't want to brand anybody, as I mentioned before, but sometimes we've got to open our eyes and say, who is resisting this? It's the people that believe that construct, maintain, maintain, maintain is the answer versus architect, analyze, design, and assemble to order. It's a skill situation. So we need to recognize this. Now, of course, it's not everybody, and I don't want anybody to think that it's everybody in that category. But that's the prevalent research and on-the-ground understanding that we have. How does change really happen? It's not like this, <laughs> okay? There is this dip that goes on because there is this turbulence, uncomfortableness with whatever change is. And you, I'm sure, have experienced this in your lifetime. Doesn't matter what it is. And so what we're trying to do is to reduce the impact of that performance dip as much as possible as we introduce these concepts of human consumable business and enterprise architecture. We want to decrease the depth and shorten the time and reduce the impact of the business. And this requires a personal commitment to get to the end state, which begins with awareness for you and I and the business of the change, an understanding of what that change is. For example, what is business architecture and how is it going to impact me? That is internalized for each individual. Some people feel comfortable and some people are gonna feel threatened because they believe once it's written down, they're not needed anymore, whatever the phrase is that they're thinking about. There's a commitment to that change and then there is an action. The issue is that we believe we can go from awareness to action, ain't gonna happen. We need to go through that human learning process. And the mental models and the foundational communication skills is what we're talking about here. And what we're providing here is an understanding of those building blocks for the ability of communications that you will have. And it begins with what is the model what is the model that the business people have, the technology people have, and you have? 
And how are you going to use that mental model for advocacy and inquiry? Why is it a mental model? Because it's not written down. You're going to observe and assess, and you're going to have a ladder of influence. In other words, how do you move across this? And what we call the left-hand and right-hand column understandings, and of course, listening and feedback. And finally, attitude to change. Some of this material that we use and we lecture on comes from the work of a gentleman named Fred Kaufman, very famous person in research in this particular area. So they're important on how we reflect and interpret reality. How does your business people look at you and what you do? And how do you look at them? They understand how, where, and why we get stuck when we try to learn and take action. Why are people hung up about this particular thing? What is their mental model? We have to understand that others operate in their own mental models, which is based on their experiences. We have our own experiences. And once we understand that, we can provide a productive relationship that's out there. So how does your CXO perceive you? How do your stakeholders perceive you? Have you ever asked them? It's not only a quote survey. This is uncomfortable. You don't do this in a meeting with 17 people, one-on-one -on -one over adult beverages or a cup of coffee, possibly, even virtually. Do you know what they think about architecture and architects? Do you know what your programmers feel about architecture <laughs> architecture? It might be different than what you think. So how do you advocate an inquire? What is this and why they're important? What are these things? It's the strategies for sharing and soliciting these mental models. Advocacy is different than inquiry. Advocacy offers your opinion. Here's what I believe is the issue that you and I are facing. Inquiry invites others to share that idea and opinions. I agree or I disagree, and here's why. So you can advocate a position and you state it. Here's what I believe, which is different than saying it is. And then of course, we can get into a dialogue. Why is this important? Because conversational strategies are what we're talking about. Productive conversations is a balance. It's a balance. And if we look at this, this is one of our favorite areas. We start recognizing the differences between these. So we explicitly state our own reasoning. We say what we believe. An inquiry is we actively ask what others believe. So we say, here is what we believe. What do you think? We say what we believe. We ask and we give a, a reason for that. And we ask others, what's the reason behind your views? Let's see where the convergence and differences are. We wanna provide data, and I don't possibly mean data data for which our reasoning is based. And we ask for that same thing. People say, well, you're challenging them. This depends on your soft skills approach and what the relationship is, as we mentioned 
and some other information that was there. We encourage others to test that view. Do you see any gaps in what we're suggesting here? And we make our assessment of their views explicit based on your statement XYZ, I assume that you believe this is true. Feedback loop, an open loop produces defect, a closed loop produces quality. And we encourage others to provide view different views based on data and conclusions, and sometimes it's belief. My gut feel is, you know, nothing wrong with that. But let's see exactly what that is. And please only ask questions if you really want to know. And you hear this all the time. Don't mistake questions meant to advocate for inquiry. I've learned that a long time ago. If you, if you really want to know my opinion, and I ask this, I will tell you. So please, I will ask you again, as kindly as I can in our conversation, do you really want to know my opinion? And I'd be more than happy to give it to you. Why? Because sometimes it's cosmetic. Observations and assessments, what are they? Observations are based on data or events that can be witnessed. Assessments are the way we interpret that data and draw inferences. Assessments result from perceptions and theories. So observations are data which, which we've agreed upon. An example, what is an observation? The line is an inch long. What's an assessment? It's an inference, judgment, or attribution about the observable data based on the model of the speaker. In other words, those mental models. Notice the difference. The line is short. In that individual's assessment, they say the line is short. Now, how would you know that? If somebody says to you, the line is an inch long, that's a pretty common understanding. But if somebody says the line is short, you need to elicit an understanding of that is to make sure the communication is correct. How about this? Build me a big building. Okay. What does that mean? You know how many different answers there can be. There is a very famous approach to this analysis. It's been around for a long time. It's a tool for uncovering the data that supports our thoughts and words. You may do this exactly when you have something out there that is difficult to understand, or may, you may wanna think through these concepts. And we'll give you an example here in a, a, a moment. There's four rungs to this ladder. We select data from what was said or done. We interpret that data by adding meaning based on our biological structures and life experiences. In other words, we take that fact, the inches long, and we do something with it. We make inferences and attributions and judgments about that person's actions or intentions when they give us that information, and then we make recommendations. So let's take a look at this, okay? Two people, A and B, read about the same issue plaguing their company. However, each chooses different data 
and makes completely opposite recommendations. Okay, so person A selects the facts. Here's the facts that they have found. We are under extreme financial constraints. Our costs are increasing. Rung two, the assumption is the business unit leaders are undisciplined in their spending habits. That's what that person thinks. Rung three, the decision is budget constraints for travel need to be created. And number four, the recommendation is putting those constraints on travel. Person starts off with the financial constraint and then draws a series is inferring, inferring a set of things. Let's look at person B, okay? Same fact, we're under extreme financial constraint. That person's interpretation is our sales are not growing. The assumption is we need to promote our business more to increase sales. We're out of touch with the customer and too financially focused. The decision is we need to be at the customer's site more often to see what their needs are. The recommendation is spending more on travel so that more time could be spent with customers. And you and I as architects have to recognize that the perspective of the business people will drive us to a certain direction and the management and everybody else that's going on, which brings us to the concept of listening. It's to the ability to re receive and understand what others are saying. It's critical, of course, to obtain information, to understand, and to learn. Listening is a proven way to earn respect and credibility. We have two ears, as I joke, and one orifice to make statements. Listening provides a way to pick up terminology and build a conversation based on dialogue and harmony. Are you really listening? Are you really listening? Yeah, 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 got it, got it, got it. You're not interested in, in hearing other thoughts or inquiring points of view. Think about your own habits. You're in a meeting whether it's a Zoom meeting or otherwise. Is your cell phone on? Well, Sam, you don't get it. I'm good at multitasking. Do you realize that no human being can multitask? There is no such human trait. People can task switch, but nobody can multitask. We've got to understand our abilities. We've got to understand how other people perceive us. You think it's showing how bright and with it you are, so some tips. Pay attention to the speaker. Look at the speaker. Don't be distracted by all of this noise that's out there. Pay attention to the speaker's body language. Show that you're listening, okay? Not fake, by the way, but yeah, you know, facial expressions. Those days of masks were kind of hard on us as architects, as we work with our clients. Restate what you've heard. Let me make sure I understand what you said here. Ask questions that are true inquiry for better understanding. And let the speaker finish. Don't interrupt. But, 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 but let me explain. <laughs> okay. 
Try not to formulate your adequacy and look for a spot to jump in. But let me explain to you what I did last year. Don't be judgmental and show empathy. That word is coming up more and more again. So the fundamentals are people who listen and respond well, seek a mutual understanding and welcome sharing of information. It opens up communications to good and bad news. Listen carefully before responding. Display a balanced inquiry of advocacy. Here's what I'm hearing. Here's the questions I'm asking. Oppress your opinions with perspective and maturity. It's effective give and take. Registering emotional cues is attuning, is attuning their message. Other foundational skills here, giving and receiving feedback, facilitating dialogues, offering apologies and issuing complaints. What is that one? Yes. You know what? I'm sorry. I misunderstood what you just said. You know, we're having a problem here. Let me explain what that problem is. Painting pictures, using analogies, rephrasing ideas from listeners' perspectives, and of course, advocacy and attitude. Storytelling. Storytelling is something that is historically something that IT people are less comfortable with. We're going to provide you with some tools and tips to improve your ability to share stories around your architecture efforts and connect with your audience. The value of storytelling, what is an elevator pitch for architecture? We're going to give you one, by the way, in just a moment. What is springboarding here? Some keys to effective storytelling. Take time to conceive and hone and tailor the story. It's not going to be three milliseconds. This is going to take some time. Ensure it's relevant in the context of the stakeholder. Acting skills. Are you good at expressing yourself? Tone of voices. Movement. Presence. Practice, 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 practice. One of my favorite rock bands is the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger, if you think that he gets on stage and he looks like he's randomly moving around, you're mistaken. He practices before every concert to every song in front of a mirror. It's all choreographed because that's what's impressive. The more natural it looks, the more practice that person has had. Tiger Woods doesn't read a book on golf and say, okay, I'm all set. He practices by hitting 700 golf balls a day with somebody coaching him that is not as talented as he is, but is somebody that can coach him on all those nuances of golfing. Now, by the way, I hit 700 golf balls a day when I do, when I play 18 rounds of golf, but that's another story. <laughs> okay. Timing and pace is very important. Know thyself in terms of your own strength. Some of us are very good at it and some of us are not. How do you get better? Practice. Now, what is this elevator pitch we're talking about? An elevator pitch or elevator speech or an elevator statement is a short summary used to quickly and simply define something, a person, profession, product, service, organization, or event, and its value proposition. So here is the elevator pitch definition that we use 
when somebody asks us what enterprise architecture is. Enterprise architecture illuminates how an organization and all of its members can achieve its objectives through the creation of a series of engineered models and project initiatives that can easily be understood by all the people associated with the organization. That's the end state. It's an illumination mechanism. That's our elevator pitch. And you can say that very quickly. But Sam, you don't have, you don't have any pedigrees in there. You don't have any concepts of, of uh, agile or non-agile or waterfall or safe or QRS or TUV or WXYZ. No, that's not an elevator pitch. Who am I speaking with? I'm speaking with my clients. Which brings us to context scoping and framing. These are a set of consultative skills. Do any of these things seem familiar to you? What are we actually here for? What's the problem we're trying to solve? What are we trying to accomplish? Where's this discussion going? Why am I in this meeting? What are they talking about? That's our problem when you see these things. So we need to context and frame and scope our definitions, our understanding. Contexting is a way that we bring people around and communicate. It includes the verbal and linguistic message that we're trying to understand. And so a very simple tool that we use is the following. Purpose, discussion and process and expected outcome. Put this in front of before you go into a meeting. This is our purpose. This is how we're going to approach this. And this is our expected outcome. Framing is a way which we essentially put together an understanding of what we're trying to understand. And this is from IEEE. Use models, frameworks to provide clarity and focus. Give people something to look at. Two by twos are especially useful. Human consumable. For, for example, you want to discuss marketing opportunities. We have a market. What are our core competencies? We have new core competencies, existing core competencies, new markets, existing markets. And we essentially frame things up so people can see what's going on. Okay. And we can, of course, get into more detail in each one of these as we start moving forward. But please remember, beware of the eye chart issue. We got to fill this thing up. And I did this on purpose, by the way. Okay. This is not something that people can absorb well. Scoping. We have to bring things together to understand what we're actually trying to achieve within the constraints that are out there. Context, what's the key issue? Who is involved, the client? What's the criteria? And what's the constraints that we have? These specific questions are important. So how do we look at these questions from the stakeholder's perspective? The first thing we do, once again, is a chart that looks something like this. We list all the groups that we need to have understand the thing we're trying to do. Senior management, the technology team, the business sponsors. Who are these people? The overview of the audience. What's the impact of our particular effort? What are the deliverables? All need different things. What's their motivation and their concerns? 
and what's their commitment level. Other stakeholders can include you know, business owners, end users, security, legal, et cetera, et cetera. Presentations are one of the fundamentals. And again, what we can talk about here is when you put a presentation together, what's the purpose of the presentation that you're doing? What's the desired outcome of that particular presentation? Who is your audience? There are different audiences for different presentations. Did we do our homework and figure out who that audience is? To prepare for this broadcast, we have about 24 hours of material in our courseware. And it took me some time to figure out what I hope you'll think is a pretty good subset of that information to get you started. I couldn't do it all, there's no way. But I just didn't do every other slide. I hope you recognize that. So how do we plan this thing? We build a storyboard. We start with an introduction and stakeholders' interests right away. We don't start with saying, let me explain how brilliant we are. We use visual aids, but we keep them simple. And then depending on the audience, we need to do fine, fine tuning and we design for question and answer and interactions. We time box each one of these and we do keep the number of slides to a minimum. When you deliver this thing, the most frustrating thing in the world is you see this all the time. You know, are you on mute? You're not on mute. Can you see my presentation? Can you see me? Can you hear me? What's the distractions that are out there? Make sure the technology is in place and functioning. I know this sounds simple, it's just a checklist. Speak to the audience. By the way, I speak to the camera. Now, yes, I do look at the slides. There's no doubt about it, but I'm speaking to you, the audience. Please think about that. Don't go like this. I got to look at the slides. You got to talk to the audience. You got to engage the audience that's there making eye contact. Emphasize the key points. Stay on time. Speak clearly. Look and sound your best. I always have a little bit of warm water with me to make sure. And please don't just memorize the text that you Watch your body language. Where's your arms and your hands and things like that. The material. Number one issue when it comes to technology people is ETA. What's ETA? <laughs> Eliminate the acronyms. Don't assume everybody knows what that stuff is. Keep the slides simple, no eye charts. Check for mistakes. <laughs> Spelling checkers don't work all the time. Some of us are very nervous. So yes, I do a lot of presentations, but if I have to make a briefing to a certain, and I've had humbly the privilege of speaking to generals and presidents and vice presidents of the United States and giving briefings, which I was humbled at to be asked. And it is ner you're nervous. And even this presentation, because I believe that the audience are spending their time with me and I value their time and I thank them for their time. So there's a little nervousness. Am I making my points? Are people happy with what they're hearing? Are they comfortable? We need to slow down, relax, and breathe. We tend to speed up when we're nervous. Yes, drinking water is important. But by the way, as a hint, 
not cold water. Room temperature, tepid water is the best. And that has to do with the physiology of our throats, by the way. Be well prepared, know your material. Know your practice, practice, practice. Anticipate and plan. Vary the pitch and tone, no monotones. You don't like listening to me for 15 minutes at this particular pace? Well, of course not. Pause on occasions. See if people are engaged. And yes, not a problem to breathe. And then get back into again. Speak clearly and not too fast. Try to have a little fun. After the presentation, who else might benefit from getting a copy of this? Ask for feedback. Again, closing the loop that's there. What are the challenges? Question and answer. When we do a class, people say to me, you do you know, an incredible number of classes and you keep teaching these. Don't you hand it off for somebody else? It's the hardest thing because we don't know what the questions are. Classrooms are much harder than most consulting assignments. And you know what? Sometimes I will say, you know, I don't know. And I'll follow up with you. Nothing wrong with that. You know, I don't know. Stay grounded. Sometimes it's very difficult. And if any of you have been on some of these LinkedIn forums, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Be brief and concise and use the active listening skills. What are, what's the feedback you're getting? And from a technology standpoint, be careful about what people can absorb and what they can't absorb. And we're always gonna have non-attentive non -attentive attendees. What are you gonna do about that, if anything, or disruptive attendees? How are you gonna handle those? Be prepared. Not everyone likes your message or everyone is comfortable with your message. As we close here, I wanna just cover a couple more concepts. The concept of storyboarding is a tried and two technique in the industry of you know, movies and television shows and things like that, okay? It's a visual representation of these phases, the beginning and the middle and an end of a story. And it's something that we can all use when we put a presentation together like this one. There's a beginning and a middle and an end. It's, this is a storyboard from an old, old episode that's there. And basically it starts off with these concepts and you work through these things, A, B, C, D, E, F. And you put these out there and you can sketch these. You don't have to use any tools, but I find it valuable. I actually use floor you know, in, in my office or home or the walls to put these things up there. So I can see it. I can't, it's, I'm not going to use a, you know, a, a system where I got to go scrolling back and forth. I got to see the whole thing and I move things around, um, you know, as we move it. The benefits are that the message is delivered. And there's a flow for the listener. There's a beginning and a middle and end. And we can anticipate different points there as we rehearse with our stakeholders, with some of our trusted stakeholders. Are we getting the point across? And then we eliminate, eliminate, eliminate. It's easier to make changes up front. And we bring that creativity. So how do you get started? Use the storyboard template that we suggested. 
post them on a wall, not on a screen, not on a video screen, not on a use paper, please. It's going to be much easier and it's much easier to move around. And everyone sees it. The group think is very, very important. Write in dialogue or images as you move forward. So how do you manage this whole process as we close out there? We want to examine a few method, methods that hopefully you can use in your business or enterprise architecture practice to implement some of these concepts. Is there this concept of resisting change? Absolutely. What are these change models? And just some final thoughts. What we have to recognize is whatever you're bringing in, business architecture, enterprise architecture, new techniques, new processes, resistance to change, us too, is an emotional behavioral response to a real or unfortunately imagined threat to establish work routine. There's a lot of people, as soon as they look, see something, that's what happens. And that change model that you want to go through has these four phases, a discovery phase, a potential solution to those change issues, the operationalizing of that change, and the assessment and adjustment that's there. And each one of these techniques that you and I have discussing so far, we sort of categorized in these areas so that you can see how this all works. Notice that what we're building here is a toolbox, not a tool, but a toolbox with various types of things that you may be pulling out at various points in time. And we've put together what we call the action model to change, A-C-T-I-O-N with a small n, little c-y. There's an analysis activity, the A, a communication activity, a training and development and reskilling action in change, the involvement of the stakeholders, participants, the stuckies, whatever you want to call them, the organizational considerations of that change. And then the reason there's the N is small is because intervention, meaning we want to compare, excuse me, we want to prepare for possible issues. We want to be prepared. We sometimes call that the event model. What if? What if this doesn't go well? Or what if this problem props up? The more of these things, these what ifs that we can have, the better we're prepared for them rather than surprises. And we have to remember there are people out there that are going to adapt and learn and respond to these changes. And there's going to be others out there who are going to say, you know what? Forget it. I've seen this so many times, I'm just going to wait this one out too. And just as a little bit of a joke here, with again, hopefully no offense at all intended in any way, shape, or form, I do like Asian food and Chinese food. Human beings are like tea bags. You don't own your own strength until you get into a little hot water. Nothing in the world is as soft as yielding as water. Yet dissolving the hard and the flexible, nothing can surpass it. So soft skills are ways to sometimes overcome the hard. The gentle overcomes the rigid. We all know it's true. 
can we put into practice? So in closing, just some clothing thought, closing thoughts with a little bit of humor. A slightly embellished quote from Indira Gandhi. And Gandhi said the following, when you go out into the real world, there are four types of people in the world that you will encounter. Those that do the work, those that talk about doing the work, those that claim they've done the work 17 million times, and those that take the credit. As I said, with a bit of humor, we suggest you try to be in the first group. <laughs> There's less competition. <laughs> Please join us in that group. It'd be our pleasure for you to reach out to us, conversations, give us a call, schedule a session with us, no obligation. I know that sounds trite. Let us talk to you about these things. Yes, of course, we accept emails and things, but please don't hesitate to reach out to us. And of course, we've got lots of different classroom environments that we can help you with. Thank you again for your time. Hopefully, you'll practice some of these soft skills. Use them. Remember that toolbox concept, a toolbox. Not everything for every time but you have a toolbox of new skills and new concepts. Hopefully you've given us an introduction. And as I always say here, when it comes to these types of things, we've done a selection of 24 hours of material for you for our one hour session together. Hopefully it's been very useful for you. Stay healthy, stay well, go do business architecture, go do enterprise architecture, practice these soft skills. Thanks again for your time. Hi, my name is Sam Holzman with the Enterprise Architecture Center of Excellence. The sole mission of our organization is to help your organization move from the industrial age through the internet age into the information age. Since 1972, our firm has been dedicated to the practice of enterprise architecture and what we now refer to as Enterprise Architecture 3.0. Enterprise Architecture 1.0 began with Dewey Walker in 1966 when he was at IBM and came up with a process called business systems planning, which was focused on understanding your enterprise through the eyes of building information systems. Enterprise Architecture 2.0 was best defined by what was referred to as the BAIT model. Business, application, information, and technology architectures, frankly more correctly referred to as EITA, enterprise information technology architecture, which was focused on the understanding of what needs to be done prior to implementation of information systems. We are now moving to EA 3.0, which is about information not focused directly on the internet or the technologies of delivery or the delivery mechanisms. We're moving into the information age, and EA 3.0 that we practice is about understanding the enterprise and the business through a series of human consumable representations rather than looking at the enterprise and business through the eyes of a computer system or a compiler. Our organization is passionate about this topic and we are professionals in this field. We're not general contractors, we are architects. As in the physical world, you hire architects to do architecture and general contractors to do construction and implementation. 
Our organization is here to help you move from the industrial age through the internet age into the information age to make you the most agile organization in your field. Please give us a call or email us and we'll be more than happy to discuss the services we have. These services range from training, certification, consulting, mentoring through full responsibility for your enterprise architecture activities. Please give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you.